Welcome to uh, the End User Computing Podcast. We are on episode number three. Uh, with me today, I have a number of co-hosts and several of uh, whom were not able to make it, uh, and one that has strange audio problems, so we will try and proceed without him. Um, with me today, I have Andy Wood. Hello. Good evening. Chris or Rogers. good morning or good afternoon, depending on where, where you are. <laughs> yeah, where are you? Afternoon for me. Afternoon. Or Afternoon. evening. I don't think uh, it's morning for any of our me. listeners. <laughs> yeah. And Dwayne Lesner. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. All right. So it's just going to be the four of us today. Uh, I'm your co-host, Dane Young. You can find me on Twitter at YoungTech. Um, we have a number of other Twitter ats uh, that you can find on the website at uh, EUCpodcast.com if you'd like to follow any of the hosts there. Uh, and we are joined live um, by a live audience on CrowdChat. So for anybody that's listening, feel free to engage in the chat as we're going through this. Uh, we have a number of different topics that we are looking to talk about today. I'm very excited. A lot of us have spent uh, the better part of the last six weeks or so on the road. Uh, and so we're excited to dive back into the podcast and talk about things that were announced, things that were learned, uh, different topics uh, from various conferences and events. So with, uh, without further ado, I think we will start with um, some of the announcements and topics from uh, Synergy 2015. Uh, Synergy was in Orlando this year, which was a bit of a hike for some of us that are used to it being on the West Coast, but I suppose it's uh, better for those coming from Europe. Was it a little bit better for you, Andy? Um, yes, actually, uh, flight time-wise, uh, in comparison to last year, I, I've got to admit, though, uh, running around California was easier than running around Orlando. Um, I am I am a northern I am a northern boy. Uh, it's humid even at 8 o'clock in the morning. Welcome you, to the humidity of East Coast U.S. <laughs> genuinely, how do you guys, how do you guys function? <laughs> I do, just dripping with sweat. Uh, I had a, no, I had a friend from California at one point say that um, he figured it out when he came to visit at one point. And I'm in the mid-Atlantic, I'm in D.C., where it's almost as humid, but not quite. Um, and he said, on the East Coast of the United States, you don't sweat, you condense. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Well, <laughs> it was neither good nor pretty, and I, 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 I pity the poor man who had to put a microphone up my shirt on uh, on Tuesday morning. That was that was not a good experience for either of us. Uh, let us move on. Yeah, I absolutely. It, I find it helps if you just never leave the hotel. Just the confines of air conditioning is, seems to seems to work. Yeah, and then they put the uh, the room and board across the street, so unfortunately they didn't make that easy on any of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, it was a good event, um, and if anything, uh, giving it was so spread out 
uh, a lot of people lost a lot of calories, so so it was a good fitness event. Uh, all all involved. Absolutely. Now, uh, Andy, you had uh, at least one session that I know of. Um, how many sessions did you have at Synergy? Andy, are you still with us? Andy probably had some had audio issues. Uh, where we talked about life cycle management. Can you still use having audio issues? Yeah, our apologies, everyone. Uh, Andy is joining us from a hotel room. He's uh, traveling for business. Uh, he seems to be having some audio challenges, but we're catching every other word or so. Uh, Chris Rogers, did you did you have any uh, sessions at Synergy that you presented? Other than GeekSpeak, where I got to make a massive fool of myself and had an outstanding time doing it. Not really. Oh, and I introduced uh, the Geek uh, the Geek Out uh, game show too. So. Yeah, that that was uh, that was actually really fantastic. Uh, do you want to share what that was about for anybody uh, that's listening in? Oh, let's see. What did we do? We had this idea, I guess, what back in February. Well, I mean, GeekSpeak's been around forever today, but um, our good buddies at Thin Client Computing, uh, Joe Shonk and Steve Greenberg and Hal Lang, said, let's do it a little different this year because we kind of thought that GeekSpeak had fallen off the rails a little bit. Um, we tried to, to mix it up last year a little bit. It didn't work so well, so we said, all right, well, let's let's do do it a little better. So we put this agenda together and, you know, had a lot of uh, organizational meetings and, you know, got it together, you know, in terms of good content, good people, good guests. Um, you know, we put an invitation out to Mark Templeton, and, hey, he showed up. Yeah, that so, was great. So that was awesome. You know, and... and, and you know, it's no joke when you're up on stage and the demos are going down in flames because the Wi-Fi really is that bad when you have a couple of hundred people in the room all with electronic devices putting up interference waves. Um, and yeah, all of a sudden your stuff just doesn't work. So what better way to have it than have uh, that situation handled than with someone who knows how to handle it, i.e. the CEO of Citrix, and come up there and just start chilling with you on stage while um, everybody gets their demos working, which they eventually did. Um, so I was up there as Dr. Emmett Brown. Uh, we did a little bit of the Back to the Future theme um, because, you know, we like to think that we're living in the future. You know, this whole IoT stuff, you know, it's got me excited. I've tweeted about this before. You know, it makes me feel like a geek again. You know, this is what I got into tech for because this is cool stuff. You should see my desk right now. Uh, ten drones, an Arduino, a Raspberry Pi, a Mayo armband, um, an Intel Edison, a couple of switches. Uh, what else I got there? Uh, I got a couple of X1 mouses sitting there that are still in the box. But, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing with my time. Is I am just going hog wild on OctaBlue and IoT. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I've I've checked it out a little bit. Uh, granted, I'm not as deep into it as as I would like to, but I need to start getting myself some IoT connected devices so I can start doing some interesting things uh, like what you guys showed at the uh, Geek Out Game Show. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It, it, it really, for a lot of us, it, it brings us back to, you know, why did we start doing this whole IT thing and getting paid for playing with tech in the first place? It, for the most of us, uh, except for those that are in it for the ladies, which, you know, we know who you are. Um, the majority of us are just geeks at heart, and we just, uh, you know, love playing with different tech 
and building things and, and doing all kinds of fun stuff. And IoT is really, really cool. Um, the workflows and things that, uh, that can be built are uh, pretty compelling. So just just curious on those lines, um, did any of you guys use any of the other workflow engines prior to uh, prior to checking out Octablue, uh, like IFTTT or any of the other ones that are online? Nope, this is a first for me. You know, it's it's one of those things that until I actually saw it functioning, and that was uh, honestly. You know, we kind of heard wind of it way back in November, and then the acquisition happened like December, January, and we're all kind of scratching our heads, going, "What?" And then all of a sudden, here comes Chris Matthew in our meeting the day before Synergy, going, "This is Octablue," and we're all looking at this, just you know, wide-eyed, going, "Wow!" <laughs> but you have to admit, part of that was just Chris. And part of that was just Chris, yeah, absolutely. Chris, you know, if, if anyone ever has chance to talk to the mustache, which is Chris Matthew, who is the C, former CEO and now CTO, whatever title he has of Octablue and IoT, I mean, he's just the greatest guy ever. Yeah, absolutely. But how will these things help us from not printing? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't print now. I don't. I don't know what the rest of y'all's problem are. You know, it's. It, you know, I got my phone. I have my share file. I have my documents on it. Printing. What's that? Who needs that? Yeah, unfortunately, our customers are not the same way. Um, oh, customers, of course. Customers, of course, of course. Yeah, um, printing. What's that all about, Dwayne? It. Uh, it's a big thing. We have a. I live by BC, so we have lots of trees that can still be cut down. So. <laughs> Just trying to create jobs up in northern Canada. <laughs> well, as long as you're helping they, those out that are in the, the lumber cutting business. I think what the Octoblue stuff showed, and, and I hadn't, as, as Chris hadn't, it's full of those other alternative sort of workflow pieces that you talked about there, Dane. Like, like Chris, I hadn't seen them either. But once I had seen what in that particular instance Octoblue was doing, you start to see how end-user compute pieces could be plugged into other frameworks to help people do what it is they do. It does not necessarily need to be Citrix stuff, but how the delivery of applications and data as people move around offices, move between devices, could be better automated there was all sorts of bells and whistles that went off in my head as to functions that I could help deliver that I couldn't have helped deliver before without that framework in place. So it we, yeah. we had a discussion on, on a new thing. We had a discussion around the healthcare space about how cool would it be to have doctors with their iPads walking around and have beacons in the patient rooms and the beacon realizes where the doctor's iPad is and brings up the patient data and populates the little screen on the on the patient's wall and you know I mean just so much data and I, I seem to recall talking about this last month maybe uh, about the the ubiquity of big data and what do you actually do with it because it's big data there's a lot of it how do you deal with this and if you can distill this down into bite-sized chunks that are location-aware, application-aware, context-aware, and whatever other kind of where you can think of, then all of a sudden it becomes useful. I, yeah. I think there's a difference between big data and what it is that we're talking about here. 
and that's my personal view. I, I'd agree. I, I talked with a lot of, or, or, with a lot of healthcare organisations, two, three years ago, where they understood the concept of desktops moving between devices. VMware can do it. Citrix could do it. It could be done, but how do you do it so that when a doctor or healthcare professional moves out of a room that that their screen goes blank because they're now away from the patient or whatever. How does that work? Two or three years ago, that was hard. Now, there are the technology pieces that, that enable that, and it's not just for healthcare. It could be for, any, for a range of services where your location awareness, be it X, Y, or, or up, down in a building, that, that could be achieved now. And you can start to use other devices to make applications and data work together. And then you've got that big data thing in that you've got so much information being available to you that you can process it and work it in different ways. Uh, and that could be made use of as well. All of that was very exciting from the Octo Blue piece. Um, and one of the things that I took away from Synergy was it. The end user compute is now no longer just about delivering applications. It's how you can work within the environments that users have to deliver their applications. Yeah. Yeah, and there, there's a, another angle. I want to take a little bit of a rabbit trail on this, and, and Dwayne, I'm hoping you can chime in and, and share some experience as well. But I'm wondering what you guys' thoughts are on combining this whole mobility piece that seems to be an obvious big play for uh, the Internet of Things and connected devices is the fact that uh, everything everywhere uh, in the future is going to have sensors that we can connect and plug into, how that's going to impact the security landscape as we know it today. Uh, and, and I'll give you an idea or just a brain thought that, that I've had um, that a lot of the, uh, the exploits and the vulnerabilities come from um, brute force login attempts, uh, things where people are trying to authenticate externally uh, to forge their way into environments. And what if there was an intelligent way where we could use beacons and, you know, IoT and some element of MDM for, like, GPS coordination to identify the location of users when they're logging in and unless there's that cross-check authentication that, that says this person's logging in from this, this place, not the Philippines or not China, um, the, uh, there's some logic and heuristics there to add a different, add a new layer of depth to our security practices. Two-factor two authentication? Pshaw, we got seven factors. I, and and that's, kind of, that's kind of what I'm talking about because like a big aspect of security is identifying threat coordinates and where things are, are coming from and being able to protect in depth against those. Um, I, I, think, I don't think that's a new thing though. I, I think that capability has been around for a while. I'm sure Chris would, or maybe not Chris would admit, depends on, <laughs> depends on what he's allowed to say. Well. <laughs> um, but I, I was working in, in relatively secure government couple of years ago and the ability to be able to not necessarily pinpoint but give you an indication of where people were connecting from that that's been around for a while that's not that's not new stuff that that's same old same old sure. isn't that more of a historical though 
isn't that more just seeing where people have authenticated from, not doing things? No, 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 no. Active, no, active, active. We will not allow you to authenticate if you're authenticating from countries outside of outside of ah. permitted parameters. That that was available yes. three or four years ago. We used to block whole whole subnets from from not getting yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember having a customer at one point that uh, asked me if I could block everything that was not coming from the U.S. <laughs> like, Sounds seriously? like a government customer. <laughs> seriously? <laughs> so sure enough, I went through, I went through the, uh, the IANA lists and basically everything that was not uh, registered to Aaron, I, we blocked in their firewall. Now, did that, did that get everything? No. I mean, was that effective? No. That's what they wanted. Yeah, yeah we, we had a we had a similar similar policy for a particular customer in in the UK. If you weren't, you must access this system on, only from the UK. That was that was policy policy decision. Um, and then we would do a report every week for people who had not done that, and they were called upon it because they had agreed as individuals that they would only access the service from the UK. And we could find out where the, where they were accessing from. There was an interesting conversation with an individual who'd put uh, some anonymization software on his on his computer for whatever reason uh, that caused a bit of <laughs> bit of a problem when his wife used the computer. But but that aside, we were we were doing a very similar thing to to what Chris has asked or what Chris how, was requested for. How many of you guys use? the you know the tracking on your phone and leave it turned on because essentially if you're like have a beacon it's kind of what you're you're telling your employees to do like let me track you all the time i i leave it on because it's convenient and you know we go down this rabbit hole of you know security versus privacy versus convenience you know what google maps knowing where i am coordinating with my appointments and telling me when i need to leave based on traffic to get to my next appointment is pretty damn handy I agree. Yeah. It's probably if you have really nothing to hide anyway, like where you're going, then I guess it's that's not an issue. Uh, that's an interesting up. one. You've nothing to hide. You've done nothing wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, there there are yeah, many European I, countries where where that's that that mindset is is slightly different. But I just I, I, I remember I on seeing on Twitter someone posting from a, a not-so-great area inside San Francisco and thinking, oh, yeah, that's great if you're, your boss saw where you were tweeting that from, but whatever. Yeah, you've got a culture problem there, not a technology problem. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> People process in technology, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mighty pyramid. There the mighty no, pyramid. There is no patch for human stupidity. Well... <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Well, anyway, sounds good. We seem, so, uh, we seem to have so got to an end. <laughs> Should we bring it back? Did. But uh, let's let's talk about some other things outside of uh, Geek Out Game Show, IoT, uh, things like that that uh, that were displayed at Synergy um, for anybody that was there. So um, the one that I want to talk about, actually, it, it kind of falls into IoT a little bit. Um, but did you guys get a chance to see the uh, the workspace hub that they started talking about up close? Did you guys go into any of the demo areas or anything like that to see that guy up close? I love the idea personally. I mean, if if we can, if you can take all that's great about Citrix 
and get rid of the hardware and just walk into a conference room and your customer and plug this thing in, into an HDMI cable and have your demo right there ready for you, that's pretty powerful. You know, and again, that's just one example of uh, that I can think of of how you might use it. Yeah, for for those on the uh, that are listening in that aren't familiar with what Workspace Hub is, it's I don't know how, exactly how many ports it is, but it, the concept is basically like a Google Chromecast type of approach where you have this HDMI type of stick that can plug into a display and that can provide uh, remote display capabilities from receiver connected devices. So one of the uh, one of the demos that they uh, showcased was walking up with an iPad uh, with the Citrix receiver. Obviously, it's you know pre-release bits because this stuff is still alpha and beta and stuff at this time. Um, but walking up to a device with a Citrix receiver on an iPad and being able to do a two-finger gesture to flick the display from the local iPad um, uh, glass to the remote display that is uh, connected via HDMI. And I think what they're using under the covers is uh, some Android build that basically enables it to act as a Chromecast type of device. Uh, but it's a pretty cool use case, because then you would have a keyboard mouse that are physically connected to the, the workspace hub in that location. And when you flick it to that display, all of a sudden you can now use more of a desktop computing platform uh, to do your work or uh, your conference or whatever it may be instead of the tablet. So anything else to add to that, Andy or Chris? I thought that was, it's so recently that there was a, there was a letter bemoaning R&D spend at Citrix. Um, if R&D spend has been spent on developing this particular type of device, I think that's a good investment that's a good investment of R&D spend. This okay. is extending application delivery, virtual workspaces to fit in better, best with how people would like to use and could get value from technology. That was a very clever thing to show how there's some innovation in how devices are being used and, and, and a, an extension of innovation because you know, uh, Microsoft has developed their Miracast stuff. We've got the Chromecast. This, this ability to take whatever it is on whatever device that you have and put it on a bigger screen because you want to share it with people in a meeting, that's common. But to take a workspace and put that on a bigger screen, that, that was an interesting piece, especially when you fit it in with all of the workspace delivery piece where it automatically brought on the voice conference and signed you in to go to meeting. All of that was clever. All of that could have value for customers, value for businesses. I, I was impressed with that particular piece. Yeah. And how, how long have we been waiting for that technology? I mean, we've seen stuff like that, you know, pick yeah, your Hollywood, Hollywood movie <laughs> that does it, Minority Report, Avatar, whatever, where someone is looking at a computer screen and then all of a sudden they make a motion, a gesture, a swipe, whatever, and what they were working on comes on to a tablet device and the guy walks away with it doing stuff right there. Again, it's it's the idea of taking those bits that are context sensitive and bringing them with you and being more productive on the fly, on the go, mobile, whatever terminology you want to put to it. But it's, 
I, and we've had this conversation before where, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know. Is it more convenient to work that way, or are you then tied to work? I, honestly, I, I think, think it's more convenient. I'd, uh, I'd agree. And it's, so, so we look at this as, as people who understand what, <laughs> vaguely, un understand what it is that we're doing. But for a lot of people, it's, it's about, I don't want to care about the technology. I'll take my daughter, for example. She's three. She doesn't care about how easy or streamlined the iPad is to use. She just wants to be able to get to Dora the Explorer as quickly as possible, and she can on that particular interface. For a lot of business users, they don't want to care about how it's plugged in and whether or not they've got an HDMI interface or a VGA interface and, and how they plug into the smartphone and whether or not the spider phone is online. They just want to walk into an office, crack on with what it is they need to do, share the information that they need, and leave. And this technology piece, that delivered on that, I thought, <laughs> from, a, from the example, from the delivery mechanism, and then that. That is that uh, iPad, touchscreen, tablet, um, paradigm shift from a keyboard and, and being complicated to just being able to use finger movements now you can just walk into a room and, and start to engage with people. I thought that was very impressive. Uh, I'd like to see how that's developed and, and brought to market. Of course, you've got to be careful with some of those finger movements, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They can be exciting and terrible. Yeah, yeah you know, that, that could be a whole range of gestures in, in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, careful what you do with your fingers. Yeah. And a lot of people in the work environment just want to get to Dora the Explorer, so you've got to watch out for those people, too. All right, so um, so that was uh, Workspace Hub, a little bit of a, a sidetrack there. Um, I think uh, what I heard loud and clear from Synergy was uh, that ZenApp is back with Vengeance, which you know makes me pretty happy personally. Um, I think uh, you know the the good old server-based computing has been overlooked by many in the space, and even Citrix at times as they started getting Squirrel happy and jumping over there to VDI and jumping over there to mobility, um, but I think we, we all would recognize that ZenApp presentation server MetaFrame WinFrame has always been core to Citrix, uh, and it was it was pretty nice to see that resonating I, in the keynotes. I, I, I'd agree. I, I did write a blog about this when I was, was it on the plane on the way over. Um, I think it's been a while coming. I think they lost a bit of focus on that. And this is from Citrix's point of view. This is their core product, what most people, most customers, most partners know them for. What for a while was their main revenue generation. While they've been unfocused on other things, other people have caught up. Uh, core Microsoft product on its own has some pretty decent features there, would probably be good enough for a lot of people. VMware have been able to catch up and server-based computing, what is underlying ZenApp, is a great scalable technology for delivering lots of applications to lots of users. It, also it could not be that Citrix cannot continue without giving some love back to ZenApp, but now they've got there, if we're being honest, they're not going to drive a large amount of revenue from that. What right. else are they going to do? They, they cannot take their focus off it, they cannot release a product that is so far behind what it is that they delivered in the previous version that it prevents upgrade. That, right. was, that was a serious mistake. 
I doubt they'll do that again. But once they get feature parity, how many more features are you going to stick into Zenapp that will drive revenue for the Citrix business? Yeah, are you talking specifically about IMA versus FMA or just Zenapp as a just, delivery just, method? Uh, regardless of the IMA, FMA, I mean, that, uh, sure. let's take that as a scale feature, right? In, in yep. terms of IMA was very good, but if you really wanted to scale out, then FMA should be where it's at. Let's take that as an aside. What features are going to give customers, partners, something that is going to build on what, what it is that we've got? What, what features are going to come forward specifically for a server-based computer environment that's going to keep Citrix in revenue if only what they concentrate on is that? Yep. I, yep. think it's a great, I think it's great that they've gone back. I think it's great that they're giving focus again. I, I think it's great that they're probably going to build on it a bit. But they need to have other products in their portfolio. They cannot just rely on that, that one particular product. I think yeah. it is the, the building block, though, for, for going forward with a lot of other things. Like, is, as you, you know, it allows you to take crummy applications and shovel them out in lots of different ways. And if they're spending money on room experience and going down different routes, it's, it's probably it's still probably a linchpin for a while. I don't don't see it going away. Oh, I, I don't see those. Yeah, indeed, what? I don't see those crappy applications not being crappy applications tomorrow <laughs> or the next day or the day after that. But what what happens on June? What happens on July fifteenth? Uh, you'll wait Which? in anticipation for July sixteenth. <laughs> the world Windows, will go on. You Windows will pay two, your taxes. Windows two thousand three end of life. <laughs> and that is, that is my day to day right now is an agency that is still on Windows 2.3 and frantically and no joke frantically migrating applications. I, I, but at the same time, XP came and went, yeah, and we're you know we're still we're still alive. The sun still shines in the morning. The world does not end, yeah. It, it, however, businesses are exposed to the fact that. If there is a significant issue in terms of security, there may not be a patch available. Um, how are you going to deal with that? It's not that it will stop working. That's the, that's the key focus part. And for quite a lot of customers, the fact that it keeps working is good enough and they'll carry on with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Chris, I know you, you opened up that can of worms, so I'll just dive in there with you. Um, how much of that is actual migration and how much of it the app simply won't move and you're having to take isolation measures in, into uh, account? I give it about 50-50. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, think that, I, I think that would resonate a lot with uh, our listeners and, and people that are trying still yep. to figure out what they're going to do a month from now is that... Um, you know, that NT server that's still running in the basement, there's a lot of organizations that are out there uh, that 2003 stuff simply won't move, and they're going to have to figure out migration strategies, either moving the client-side apps or, in a, a lot of cases from customers that we've talked to, uh, you know, it's a multi-million dollar upgrade to go from X version of, uh, I'm not going to pick on any particular vendors. We know who they are. They have three letters in their name. Um, to another uh, version that supports a modern client front end, and it's you know an expensive proposal. Oddly enough, the biggest uh, subset 
the of applications that are just refusing to go on because this particular organization is migrating to Windows 8.1 and you know a lot of apps are doing just fine but some of those custom coded apps most of which are coded in Java most of which are specifically coded to Internet Explorer 8 or 7 or 8 uh, with Java 1.5 those are the ones that are being pigeonholed shall we say yep well um Rory Monaghan has uh, started some really interesting chats, uh, and I think I think we actually should take a little bit of a, a sidetrack here, um, because at at Brightform London, Synergy to a degree, and just a Should whole bunch typing? of other places, um, you know, I personally have seen the market completely blow up, uh, and even E2E, um, our friend uh, Dennis Gundarov joined us and did a session on app volumes, and um, you know, there was session at Bryform on layers, layers, blah, 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 or something to that degree, right, Andy? Um, uh, yeah, yes, yes, that was an entertaining, was an entertaining <laughs> presentation. Uh, well, uh, I still need to speak to Dan about what his feedback on, on, his, on his mind uh, session was, but yes, yes. It was a, a, a very useful and interesting session. I, w I was in the middle of... I tell you what, you, you carry on and fill while I type, and then I'll, I'll swing back in. All right, you type, I'll talk. Um, it, it, yeah, it was great. Um, I, I think for some of us that have been paying attention to the layering space for a while, and I, I, I put that loosely, paying attention to, doesn't mean a lot of the, a lot of the customers have been mature enough or... Um, serious enough about going down the layering path, going back uh, four years almost um, since you know my first early introductions to Unidesk and a couple of the others. Um, but in 2015, it's surprising because you know maybe it's the the big vendors taking a gobble and buying cloud volumes. Maybe it's just the you know the everything coming together and and creating that perfect storm. But I think everybody's eyes are on this whole layering and and application virtualization or even alternative to application virtualization space, uh, and it's pretty fascinating. Um, Dwayne, you do you, do you see any of that in uh, stuff that you're working with on a regular basis? What are your thoughts on it? I hear both lots between app volumes and Unidesk. I think these technologies are why layering came to be was because people inherently don't work well together. I think, you know, AppV and ThinApp, and there was lots of prior things that you could push applications out, but, you know, dependencies and wondering what the next guy's doing or just talking in a team, obviously lots of problems with big organizations. I've seen, I've seen big companies spend millions of dollars trying to package up applications, but these things like Unidesk and AppVolumes make it, you know, pretty stupid easy to, to get the job done. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of interest, but then it's like, how does it, how does it change your architecture? I think, you know, I, I would say those probably the two front runners that I see, and I think the big difference is, is when those layers come onto the desktop. Is it at boot time versus log on? And there's some different impacts of both. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where, where they both go. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think the... Uh the, the biggest players in the space are, are pretty well known. Um, and then, you know, even outside of that, we have just a whole slew of, of additional technologies and ways to skin the cat, if you will. Um, yeah, that was an interesting thing from the 
layering presentation, blah, blah, blah. Blah, as, blah, blah. As, as has been spoken about, you know, Unidesk, uh, at volumes as now is, um, but what that presentation also looked at was FS Logics. Uh, they looked at Liquidware, well, they very briefly looked at Liquidware because they'd only just announced their particular piece. Obviously, yep. Citrix have got an offering in this space. I think going back to Chris's point in terms of migration, quite often people thought that they could migrate applications easily if they virtualize them, then realized that actually the process of virtualizing application was complex. Uh, with layering, it becomes easier, although there's a consideration for the infrastructure that's required for layering. There are a range of vendors, as, you, as you've mentioned, that are offering this now. Uh, what was very interesting for Dan and Jim's presentation at Forum was the price differential between those particular solutions, mm -hmm. ranging from plus $100 to less than $30. Um, definitely worth taking a look. I think what's really important from a customer point of view, from an end user point of view, is layering gives you an instant on. AppV does not. Thin app does not. Application delivery where you have to stream it in does not. But these alternative app, these layering technologies, allow you to give that app store feel without the app store weight. Right. So essentially, everybody gets their own their own desktop, which is kind of what you're competing against from a, a physical land. Absolutely, and, and customizable, but fitting in with uh, the IT administrator's point of view, where I'll give you a generic desktop. But if I can get my apps delivered in there as quickly as possible in seconds rather than minutes or hours, then um, I'm sure there's a Star Trek quote in there somewhere. Um, all good. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I I actually saw a very interesting use case this last week uh, when I was out talking with a customer. They uh, their college uh, campus and they have uh, ninety something uh, computer labs. And one of the things that they were cha challenged with was the fact that um, great they virtualized. They're they're actually using. PVS to stream to physical like the good old Ardence days and they got a lot of benefit from being able to have uh, single images that they update for the labs. Um, but then they ran into this other challenge where every computer lab because of the unique application set has its own image. So they have over 75 PVS images that are managed. Um, yeah, that was my response too. And their initial discussion with me went something along the lines of, you know, we're considering, you know, because of this app, the integration with the Citrix stuff, um, what that would look like in terms of trying to get our number of gold images down. And I, I didn't even think about it when I, you know, started talking with them about it, but almost immediately when I explained the way that FS Logics works compared to some of the other technologies and, and layering applications in, real time, just in time when people sit down and, and walk up to a station, uh, it blew them away. And one of the other cool value props was the fact that they needed to be able to assign an image or a set of applications per uh, individual station um, because their computer labs could have thousands of different users that, that walk up to them. 
And so they didn't want something that was constrained to being able to have user identity, but something that could have a computer identity notion as well. Um, so really compelling stuff. Um, you know, I've known about FS Logics for a long time. Probably Jarian Gibson's the uh, the biggest advocate that, that I've known um, that that talks about them regularly, and uh, just you know just lined up and things are are moving forward there. So it's pretty exciting stuff. But yeah, I. I agree the layering application virtualization or alternatives to application virtualization, I think that is starting to become more and more um, commonplace and it's not as scary as it once was to people that are thinking of going down these, uh, these avenues. No. All right, excellent. Um, well, I, I want to uh, switch uh, switch the topic a little bit um, and talk about um, two uh, concepts that uh, equally are, are near and dear to me. The first is uh, Citrix Workspace Cloud and the second is uh, Project Enzo. So um, because we've been Citrix-centric uh, on a lot of this call, I think, uh, Dwayne, if you're comfortable sharing some of the stuff that you've seen in videos and, and different topics on Project Enzo, uh, I'd like to hear your your perspective on that and how it how it relates or doesn't relate to the stuff that you've been doing. I know you've been working with uh, uh, Horizon DAS and, and Horizon Air uh, a little bit recently. So, do you have any thoughts to share on Enzo? Man, I'm gonna sound like a complete idiot, but I'm gonna say no because I've I've been head down in, in my world. I don't even know what Enzo's about, to be honest. All right, fantastic. I, I bet you if I would have asked Barry, he would have been all over it. But um, so I I think uh, if if we summarize um, Citrix Workspace Cloud and Project Enzo and uh, Chris or Andy, if you guys want to chime in here, feel free. Um, but I think what the industry is moving more towards, and I saw this a little bit earlier this year uh, with a, a technology that I got turned on from a company called Maximum Bit Desktop 365. Uh, a lot of different organizations, whether they're Citrix, they're VMware, or they're some type of third party, everybody's trying to find that solution to quicker time to value, um, to an easier administration uh, effort when it comes to uh, getting these technologies spun up. Um, it's no shock to any of us that uh, the time to deploy these uh, complex technologies uh, is is an investment um, from both the consultant's perspective and the organization's perspective. And um, things like Citrix Workspace Cloud and Project Enzo uh, are the manufacturer's approach to uh, creating a scenario where you can have quicker time to value and have the stack end-to-end uh, -end managed um, from a cloud-based offering. So anything uh, you guys want to add to that? I know I had a 45-minute session on Citrix Workspace Cloud at, at Bright. Actually, Brightform was an hour and a half. So we're not going to dive into that. Yeah, we're probably, you're going to have to either talk Sean Bass fast or, or <laughs> cut it down somehow. I, well, I'm, I'm, impressed with, I'm impressed with both what Citrix have delivered in, in terms of their initial... Uh, beta stuff that you demonstrated with Jarian at, um, at Bry Forum and with how fast VMware have come out of 
the starting gate to attempt to catch up. Let's let's say that Citrix talked about this last year at Synergy. Citrix talked about the concept of what it is that they'd like to do with their workspace cloud last year. And it was all, for want of a better word, airy-fairy. Whereas this year, they had a whole example piece. They could let you touch and they let you feel it in terms of, as you've explained, when you want to deliver any sort of end-user compute experience, be it Zen Desktop, Zen App, or even let's expand it out to, to view Horizon as it, as it is, um, there's a lot of pieces that you need to put in place. That takes time, that takes effort, going back to your time to value. What happens if someone stood all of that up for you and you could just concentrate on putting the bits in that you need in your environment, managed from a software as a service environment? That's what Workspace Cloud delivers. And it's, it's impressive in what it is that it's done. It's, it's abstracted all of the pieces that you would put into your environment, the studio piece, the licensing piece, the database piece, and we'll, you have the option because this isn't a requirement anymore. I know that got talked about during your session. People wanted to know what they're going to do with their qualifications how, now that they've learned how to put it into a particular environment. You have the option of putting that out into an environment. VMware have seen that and, are, and, and developed from that Enzo that will do a very similar thing from nothing to something that will be delivered towards the end of the year. That's that's an impressive that's an impressive delivery plan. And I think testament to the vision that Citrix have had, because this is a very cool thing. This would be a very useful thing. It'll it'll enable partners to deliver faster, it'll enable customers to reduce their own costs. Going to be very interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think probably the piece that I'm I'm most excited about uh, both of the technologies is that um, it's not your grandfather's or grandmother's or whatever uh, DAS offering. And I, I think that's probably the piece that has me latched on to Citrix Workspace Cloud and even Project Enzo and, and the things that I've seen so far about this because um, a lot of these quick time to value offerings, whether it's Amazon Workspaces or Horizon Air whatever it may be, um, kind of landlock you into using the vendor's provided infrastructure platform uh, to host this stuff. And honestly, that's going to fit for some and not for others. And uh, creating a more open type of approach that uses more of a DAS type of uh, orchestration, automation, management approach uh, is actually pretty slick. I'm, I'm really liking everything that I've seen so far. I'd agree entirely. There are a lot of customers who consider the DAS model where everything is hosted in the cloud up until they realize that everything except their data, their data is stored locally or their data is somewhere else or their applications are stored somewhere else. And suddenly that DAS model doesn't work for them because the DAS model is hosted on a platform that is on a different continent, in a different data center, across odd links. And that makes the user experience, which is key, hard, difficult, and and unforgiving. What's interesting about the Workspace Cloud piece is that you can host the desktops next to your data, near to your data, in your own environment, 
but it's the management piece that can quite often be complicated and 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 I'm not going to say beyond, but isn't necessarily relevant to your organisation because it's generic. Let's host that somewhere else. Let's give you the means to put all of your pieces that you need in your organisation in your organisation, and we'll manage the rest. It's a very it's a very interesting play. And yes, I'll, I'll I'll take that point. It's not. But your, they. It's not your father's DAS service. Well, yep. both well, both still offer a an on-prem solution for the management. Like I think, Absolutely. if you're talking healthcare, yeah. you want fast user switching. So you know, some things are not going to lend themselves well um, to doing that anyway. And, but, and this was the point, definitely for Workspace Cloud, that I I took away was that if you still wanted to do it all on-prem, away you go, and that was the flexibility that that gave. I expect Enzo will give you the same flexibility. Yeah, and I, I think uh, one of the ideas that was thrown around a little bit was that um, because I can't talk as much detail about Project Enzo, one, because there's not as much public and the uh, information that I do have is, is tighter held at this point, but one of the concepts that was thrown around with Citrix Workspace Cloud was that um, because the technology, the management stack is, the term is evergreen, where it's constantly being patched, and it's constantly being updated, and you as, as an organization don't necessarily have control over that piece of it, it enables uh, Citrix particularly the ability to come to market quicker with new features that will bring value to their customers instead of having to wait for that uh, that dot release or that major release for um, a Citrix Zen app or Zen desktop uh, binary push. Um, they're able to do that in the management stack quicker. Uh, and what that also means is that the, I'm not going to call them legacy products, but the standalone products as we know them today, those products would get those features at a later release cycle, at a less quick release cycle because there is that traditional uh, management piece that is involved there. That's the part that I'm probably most excited about because I work with a lot of customers that, you know, if they had the option of buying Workspace Hub today, a lot of them would because uh, they're just willing to be that far on the edge of technology using things that are probably not supportable initially. Um, so I, I like the fast iterative nature of what uh, this has promise of delivering uh, in order to speed up the release of features without having to wait and do a, a massive either in-place upgrade or swing migration to that new version of Zen apps and desktops and mobile, whatever it may be. It'll be interesting how, how both play out as like full stacks. Kind of get this, you know, the industry is still has lots of things to do as far as, you know, le lessening the vendor community and, and tightening that down. Um, so it's, I think it's the writing's on the wall, it almost seems like. Yeah, potentially. Um, wouldn't put anything past either of them. No, so, I saw um, so. well, it as an opportunity, to be honest. Uh, from a vendor space, if you read, I, I stuck on the um, CrowdChat uh, view the, the 
piece that uh, Summit did on um, Project Enzo, and I, I've stuck some other stuff on as well. I think there's an opportunity there for vendors to link in to both environments. Uh, from Atlantis' point of view, we linked in with the lifecycle management piece that Citrix were doing, which we would hope would help customers for both products link in with what the Workspace Cloud piece was doing. I am sure, uh, although don't quote me on this, if any of my bosses are listening, that Nutanix <laughs> will be able to do something similar. Um, there's an opportunity to vendors to link in because the ecosystem for either VMware or Citrix is richer when third-party products are brought in. Both yeah. vendors, VMware and Citrix, will give hooks to allow third parties to bring their products into those particular workspaces, work frames, uh, to deliver best value for customers. So um, I know, Andy, you were there uh, in London as well. Were there any other key takeaways uh, or things that uh, stuck out to you from Brightform that we should mention before we move on? Uh, I, think, I think what was, what was interesting from Brightform this year was there was less focus on storage <clears throat> than there was in previous years. Um, what was interesting was the was the app layering piece in terms of a takeaway in that each year there's a there's a new there's a new trend mega trend to yeah mega trend and so if I was to take last year it was storage if I was to take this year it was application layering uh, and I've had a couple of conversations with customers within the past couple of weeks where they're saying, what is the next new trend? What should we be looking out for? Obviously, it's storage and Atlantis computing, but after that, um, <laughs> it's gonna, it's going to be, um, it, it is undoubtedly how you're going to deliver applications. And there's, there's a mindset mind shift into looking at application layering and how that's going to work for you. Awesome. Well said. So as we look forward, um, obviously one of the things coming up is the uh, imminent death of Windows Server 2003, uh, but almost similarly is also the imminent release of uh, Windows 10. So um, has anybody on the call spent more than you know a half a day Digging yes. into any of the new features in Windows 10 or Windows Server uh, 2016, and anything you'd like to share there. I have a blog on Windows 10 and how it died on me at Synergy. Um, I've got to admit, from my use of Windows 10, I've been using it now for three months. Okay. I like it much more than eight. Much, much more than eight. Eight, you had to bastardize in order to get it to function in any way, shape, or form it, on a laptop view. It is undoubtedly a great platform if you've got a tablet. Utterly right. rubbish if you've got a laptop and you want to work in any sort of productive way. 10 is not that way at all. 10 will undoubtedly be the platform that people, if they are on 7, will move to. Uh, I, I just like the interface better. 
Um, it has its quirks. Um, most notably, it doesn't seem to want to connect to, to Wi-Fi in Sweden as, as well as it should. But uh, other than that, well, uh, other than that, and a massive error with a with a storage driver, I've had no problems with it at all. I've in server, the people server 2016. Uh, not had a chance to have a look at that yet. Okay, Chris, have you had a chance? Oh, you might be busy. I think no, I'm not busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never busy. Yeah, that's a lie. Uh, whatever. Um, I, I played with it idly. You know, that's okay. That was said really wrong, but whatever. Um, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I like the interface better. I like uh, I like the return to the roots um, of the uh, start menu, which we all kind of had to hack into it anyway. Um, all that good kind of stuff. So, uh, but you know, as we were saying in the chat, you know, uh, was it Rory asked, you know, is uh, what about Windows 10? Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um, do you believe it will lead to Microsoft gaining in the mobile market or too little, too late? My my opinion was it was too little, too late. I mean, they did the damage with Windows 8 just going too far to the one extreme, and now they're going to try to pull back and go, oh, we were just kidding. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I I did hear something interesting. I was at uh, I think it was HP Discover that I heard this and. Somebody was talking about the Windows Embedded, which is a pretty common platform for thin clients. Apparently, they're going to be calling that Internet of Things edition. I'm not really sure, like, head-scratching response to that, what I should think of that. If they're going to make it so blooming cheap that it actually could be feasible as an Internet of Things capability. Well, you know Everybody has their own definition. It's going to be Internet of Things is going to be just like cloud. What is it? You know what to do. Everybody will have their own definition. Everybody in two years, will, everybody will be talking about how their solution is better than everybody else's. So um, it's going to happen. You watch. <laughs> um, but uh, I will give some credit in the fact that I look at some of the things Microsoft is doing with HoloLens, with mm -hmm. Windows 8, Windows 10, and if you've seen some of the demos of the HoloLens projecting a Windows desktop up on a wall and you interacting with it in gestures, where you're wearing your computer and you're interacting with it in every way that you're used to, and all of a sudden it's possibly one of the coolest technological experiences I think I've ever seen. So, uh, you know, I give credit where credit's due. They they had something like that at, uh, from an MIT guy at VMworld, like, I would say four years ago, which was, you know, pretty stellar. So it's interesting that it's kind of, it's making its way to, to everybody else. Uh, any noteworthy uh, observations from uh, Windows Server 2016 for anybody that's played with it? Well, I think one notable thing is that the licensing is still what it is today. It hasn't. There's no movement there other than seems like they're still doing work around, um, you know, using the Server 2016 as a as a desktop. Yeah, I, I heard something uh, uh, something along the lines of them embracing this concept of server VDI, uh, and I think that has to do with licensing, just to cue on, on your point there. So Microsoft isn't going to fix their own problem. They're just going to create a permanent workaround for it. Fantastic. Yeah, why would you, why would you fix that, although, if you're Microsoft? But I think for a lot of us, we're going to... It'll be a while before we see some of that stuff come into to production anyway. But 
it's uh, definitely on the horizon. I, I'm kind of at the point now where unless it's GA, I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time getting it going. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Understood. Yeah, the uh, the piece I'd be interested. I think uh, I think Jim did a session at um, at Brightform last year on Windows Server uh, from a storage perspective, and it was around storage. He did space indeed. And he a bunch of indeed. stuff like that. Um, yes. If you were uh, at E2EVC in Berlin, you would have heard um, an equally good, I'm sure, uh, session from Aiden Finn. What was it an update relative to 2016? Because that would be fantastic. I know there's some. Do you know what? I'll, shared, I'll shared have a look again. I'll have a look again at at his at Aiden's session title. It's the type of thing that Aiden would do. If you get a, if you get a chance to go to E2EVC, please do. Uh, B, if you get a chance to listen to Aiden ever present, please do. Obviously, Jim as well, obviously, but um, don't let him. Don't let him hear you said that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talk while I find out what Aiden did at uh, EWVC. No problem. Well, um, any other major product releases uh, coming up that uh, that any of you are terribly excited about? Tech previews, betas, anything coming on the on the uh, horizon? Not to use the term. Well, I'll a shameless plug for Nutanix, just but it, that's around file services, just an integrated SMB3 show that that scales out with the cluster itself, which I think might find a nice home for uh, for PVS. But that was one of our announcements from from last week. Okay. Yeah, you, you guys had your user uh, conference last week, right? Yeah, first one, almost uh, a thousand users, so it was pretty. It was above expectations, anyway. That's awesome. Um, yeah, bravo. That's pretty good. Yeah, that, I was watching a bunch of the uh, the announcements and uh, things coming out on Twitter and through blogs and things like that. So, looks like pretty exciting times ahead for Nutanix. Congrats on that. Thanks. I'm uh, I'm really pumped too because I think the next user conference is in Sydney of all places. So, hopefully that means that I get to to go over to that as well. Well, maybe you could uh, ensure that all of those from the EUC podcast get to go across. <laughs> all the all the EUC podcast guys should have become NTCs and then deal done. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I look forward to the logistics of that one. <laughs> you, get your, uh, you get your user <laughs> conference passes paid for if you're an NTC. Is that how that works? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know the details, but I did see quite a few of them there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we we have a couple of people that have uh, submitted questions and uh, that uh, ask the EUC experts form that we have available. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to uh, change gears a little bit and talk about those questions that came through. Um, the first is from Larry uh, on Twitter. You can find him at LarryPM3, and he has asked about Citrix Profile Manager. Uh, has anyone migrated from traditional roaming profiles to Citrix Profile Manager profiles? Do you recommend it? Any gotchas or things to avoid? Anybody want to share recent experiences or shall I share mine from probably two years ago or so at this point? Recent experiences are good. Um, I, I mean, 
Roaming profiles suck. Citrix <laughs> user profile manager sucks a little bit less. <laughs> if you really want to play with the big boys, you get Res or AppSense or Norscale. Um, that's about it. <laughs> well said. Shameless plug for vendor solutions versus using what's available in the box. Um, I think what's, what's available in the box, and, and Citrix do this very well, VMware are, are the same is good enough for a lot of people. Yes, but as Chris totally. Says, if, if, you, if, you, if you want to play with the big boys, if you have a more complicated environment, if you have demanding users, then definitely, definitely look at third-party tool. Yep. Um, so my experiences a couple years ago was pretty straightforward. Uh, migrating to Citrix Profile Manager, uh, a bunch of the configurations are there in the ADMs, so you can configure it up and uh, get your profiles migrated that way. I don't remember exactly the, the specifics of this customer environment, but maybe it was moving from one version to the next. Maybe it was something different. I do remember uh, an extensive amount of uh, login scripting to get certain pieces moved over, um, but I think that was more in a context of they had some 2003 roaming profiles, they had some 2008 roaming profiles, and they wanted to move everything to 2008 R2 Citrix profiles, and so we had to do some shuffling of, uh, of user data to get everything over um, to the new environment. But that's been a little while for me, um, but it's good to hear that recent experiences are just about as good. All right. Um, next question we have is from Kyle Davies. Uh, K Davies 1988 on Twitter. Uh, he has some questions and follow-up from the hyperconverged discussion that we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago. So this should be interesting with both Andy and Dwayne uh, on the podcast today. So uh, I'm going to read it and then we can digest and uh, respond. On the episode, uh, on episode one of the podcast, you were talking about hyperconverged infrastructure. From my experience, one of the reasons this has not been a massive uptake in the UK is primarily down to the partners designing the solutions due to potentially less incentive to do this stuff with Evo Rail, for example, or EMC vSpecs Blue. When I look at professional services to deploy a solution, a lot of the partners prefer old tech because of margins available on professional services versus selling an all-in-one bundle solution. I have previously priced up an Evo Rail hyperconverged solution. From a pricing perspective and density utilization, it did not stack up. More than likely, not a big enough deployment or wrong vendor stack. Your thoughts on why there isn't more hyperconverged deployments would be good. And info from hyperconverged usage in the states would be good versus the amount of standard deployments you see. Wow, that was a big question. Um, let's break it up and talk about it in a couple different ways. Uh, and I'm going to intentionally try and stay out of some of this because I actually do work for an integrator uh, and have my own viewpoints on the professional services angle. But I'm interested to hear, uh, Dwayne, we'll start with you because you've been working at, at Nutanix, uh, who's had hyperconverged offering for probably uh, the longest. Um, what are your thoughts on the whole vendor uh, integrator professional services angle that he brings up there? Well, I think from from we're talking to partners, or you know the ones that kind of wave the flag, um, they kind of see that 
you know, they have to move higher up the stack anyway. Uh, if your infrastructure problems are becoming, hopefully, with a converged infrastructure stacker, should be less and less. That's kind of the one of the reasons why you go there. But there's plenty of things to, to fix, like on things we've discussed on this podcast, whether that's golden images or getting management issues sorted. There's, yeah. So I don't think there's, there's not, there's still lots of money for partners to go after. It's just redirecting it into to different areas. If, okay. Yeah. yeah, Andy, any thoughts on that? I'm still trying to digest the essay that Kyle wrote um, in terms of the question. <laughs> um, I, I, I've, I've seen this before where there is, a, there is a concern that we could have put all of these bits together and it would have been cheaper. What, why? Well, not necessarily cheaper, but it would have been easier if we put all of the component bits before. What is hyper-converged converged giving us? It is always easier management. It is always easier building blocks. And that's what a lot of people want. Um, by all means, when you compare a exist, an existing infrastructure and you start off and you say, oh, we're going to do like 500 users and you put in bits, components. You say, there you go, there's your 500 users and that works. And the converged piece, the hyper-converged piece, seems about the same price, seems about the same stuff, and maybe maybe the maybe the individual components is, are, are slightly cheaper because the converged pieces might need slightly more involved networking. There may be some software components in there too. But I then think... scale it out. Scale it out. Right? So it's not just about 500 users anymore or 200 users anymore. It's about 400 users or 600 users or 1,000 users. As you grow, that converged infrastructure, that hyper-converged infrastructure will grow with you in a far easier and scalable way than you had with that traditional infrastructure piece. Or alternatively, you could look to deliver the performance for your environment with your standard infrastructure and you'll overspec it. Um, and you'll get you'll get the performance up until you reach a limit. With a hyperconverged, with a conversion infrastructure, it'd be easy to deliver in a, in a block. So you'd be better able to deliver and right size, give that time to value that I know you like, Dane. Um, with that sort of infrastructure, than you could with that traditional piece. Hopefully, that answers Kyle's uh, question. I, I'd by all means be happy to follow it up. It would be an interesting topic. I know Jim has spoken with uh, with the guys at Nutanix before about um, both Atlantis and Nutanix talking about converged, hyper-converged infrastructures being of better value to customers than traditional architectures. I, I would love for that to happen. It would be, be entertaining and fun. So I, I thought he was kind of going after the partner angle, not so much from a, a customer. Even for, even for partners, even for partners, because it makes it simpler for partners to be able to, to spec up and, and deliver. So what is it you want to do? A complicated piece that takes loads of different parts and maybe, maybe a bit of extra money, or a simpler piece that you can deliver quickly and then sell more of. So what do you want to do? You want to make a profit of X on one piece or a profit of Y on 20 pieces? and have a happier customer at the end. Because ultimately, for any partner, just like any EUC admin, it's about delivering value to your end user, right? So with a hyper-converged, converged piece, 
for partners, it's a simpler piece to put to customers. It's a simpler piece to deliver. It's a quicker time to value for the customer. It's a quicker time to profit for the partner. I, I thought his, his was interesting since probably, I, uh, at least at Nutanix, early on, a lot of the, you know, the first sales of the company was VDI. And now it's to the point where I bet you it's under 40% of all Nutanix out the doors related to VDI. But it's kind of node-based architecture lends itself well to VDI just because it's distributed. There's lots of VMs running. So I think... At the same time, I look at Exchange. Look at Exchange today. That's a... That works well with that sort of local nodes piece. SQL's the same. Mm -hmm. Anything yep. that scales out in blocks as a compute and storage piece is yeah, going yeah. to help people size their particular environments for whatever, for whatever it is that they want to do. He, he was saying that he didn't see it, though, with VDI, which I just kind of felt that was kind of off. But the he mentioned Evo Rail, and I think they've addressed it today, but back you know, maybe like two, as of two weeks ago, it was pretty rigid what you got from a hardware spec and, you know, right. everybody wants different things and so there does need to be that, that flexibility. Well, I, I guess, yes. Yeah. So let's bemoan all of the vendors that deliver a very rigid spec from a, a specific hardware vendor. Uh, we could have a giggle with that if we wanted to. Um, but I'd, I'd agree. Uh, EvoRail, uh, when it came out of the box, when it came out of the box, as as it came out the door, was was particularly rigid. And VMware, as any vendor would do, is are listening to customers, is listening to customers, and and trying to focus their product to deliver best value for customers and for partners. Yep, yeah. I would agree. All right, now I will give my uh, partner spin. Um, I completely agree with everything that you guys just said. Uh, and I think there's a lot of partners out there that would. Um, granted, not every partner. There's a, a lot of partners out there that um, are more of the jumpstart type of uh, professional services customers where the majority of what they do is the two-day implementation, five-day implementation of whatever hardware stack the customer just purchased, and then terminate their services engagements the minute that a hypervisor is deployed and the customer is managing it with their vCenter. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of customers out there that fit that mold. Uh, I don't happen to work with one, uh, work for one, um, but I think there are a lot of customers, or a lot of partners rather, that could stand to lose some of that business because, quite frankly, every hyperconverged offering that I've touched is simpler to deploy simpler to get to the point where you're deploying virtual machines and that's a lot of the messaging. And even you know some of the stuff that I heard coming out of Next where uh, Nutanix is looking to take it to a degree where the infrastructure becomes invisible. Um, I applaud that approach. I commend it. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a long road to get there, but I think that that is ultimately what the customers want um, because I had a customer just say last week, so you're telling me that this hyperconverged stuff with the storage local is actually going back to when we used to buy servers with storage in them. And I said, yes, absolutely. Except you get a lot more value because you have high availability, you have uh, VMware capabilities that you didn't have before, but yes, similar type of concept where you're buying your, your storage local to the servers, 
And if we look back 10 years ago, um, only to use uh, Chris's term, only those that were wearing big boy pants actually could afford SAN infrastructures. <laughs> and in the last 10 years, because of VMware, because of virtualization, because of everything that's gone on in the market, SAN has become uh, a necessary resource. Um, but I think the future is moving more towards where we were 10 years ago. Uh, and a lot of that is back to simplicity, simpler times. How dare you stomp on my license for snide comments? <laughs> I just wanted to wear the big boy pants, too. All right. Um, anything else that, uh, that we've overlooked? There are a number of conferences. The last six weeks have been incredibly busy for everyone, I'm sure. Um, anything that, uh, that bears repeating or bears chatting with about before we wrap things up? I would suggest if you get the opportunity, if you are of a Citrix leading, to take a look at the new Citrix community site, um, which Citrix launched at Synergy. Don't don't forget that. Um, that is mycugc.org. I have to have the card go. sitting um, right in front of me. Good job, Chris. Other, uh, other user groups are available. Um, I, for, as someone who, who runs a Citrix user group, we've always been in awe of the VMware user group community and the backing that they have from VMware. Um, it is good to see that Citrix have looked to Just solve some of the issues that we've had in the past <laughs> with regards to supporting the Citrix user group community. And, and taking some, some, um, some it's, it's even better to see the level of interest that's in it. I mean, 1,500 people joined, or 50, was it fifteen or 2,500 people joined at Synergy. And I was just at a one of the Citrix Mobility events in D.C. here this past week, and we had another good 100 people, local people, come up and say, it's about time you guys are doing this. And we're like, I, I'm like, I've been trying to do this for years, and no one has come, yeah. so sure, come on. Yeah. Let's make a D.C. user group. So that would uh, that would be a thing there. If I was to point out a new piece, I, I realise that some people are saying it's a bit been a bit Citrix heavy uh, this particular one, but we'll blame uh, we'll blame Barry on that one for um, for being busy. Yeah, and that's okay. Once uh, once VMworld comes around, uh, that episode will probably be <laughs> VMware will, heavy. We will in, <laughs> we will indeed be VMware heavy. Yes, <laughs> as long as we're sharing the love equally across the board. Absolutely, it's all about it's all about driving value for all the people. Out there in internet land. All we right. need more workspace. Need more workspace? Is that what you said? Yeah. Did you say the workspace or just more workspace? I meant V, but I only said workspace. But that, that's the the joys of dealing with Dwayne. You have to pick up what I'm trying to lay down. Which I think I did. I think I picked up what you were putting down. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, without uh, further ado, I think that is a wrap for this episode. Um, thank you all uh, for everyone that joined us online on the crowd chat uh, and watched the, uh, the live stream. Uh, this episode will be delivered uh, via iTunes. Uh, feel free to subscribe there, uh, www.eucpodcast.com. You can also find the uh, Twitter handles at hashtag EUCpodcast or at EUCpodcast. 
uh, and we look forward to having more people on the crowd chat next next time. Uh, thank you to my hosts, and everyone have a great week. Indeed. Thanks very much, everyone. See you guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.